0: Welcome to the collective voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast.
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the collective voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Albright. My day job is Chief Legislative Affairs Officer for Zealous Payments, Z E L I S. Zealous's mission is to enable providers to simplify and save on their payments and claims. I also serve as the communication committee chair for WEDI, that's W-E-D-I. WEDI is a national membership organization where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. S- system. Sorry. Today, we're honored to have Darnell Dent, former CEO of First Care Health Plans out of Texas and now strategic advisor to Softion, in our virtual studio today. Softion is a national cloud-based health insurance technology and services company based in Stony Brook, New York. Darnell also serves on the editorial board for Managed Healthcare Executive and is a board member of the NACD, that's the National Association of Corporate Directors, Texas Tri-Cities chapter. And prior to a successful career in the health insurance industry, Darnell served in the U.S. Marine Corps as a captain. Now, there's a lot we wanted to talk about with Darnell, but we've been able to narrow it to just a few topics. First, we wanted to talk to Darnell with his years of experience in the C-suite about mentoring. Now, that's a topic that's broader than healthcare, yet I think it's important for all of our professional and even personal development. I also wanted to dive into the disruptions in the healthcare industry on the digital front. So thank you for your service, Darnell, and welcome. Happy to have you on our show.
0: Oh, thank you, Matt.
1: All right. So, so I wanted to start, uh, uh, many years in healthcare. Uh, you probably had a life before healthcare, but maybe you can talk a little bit about, um, how you got to be where you are today and maybe what you've learned from that journey, uh, that you can part- partake to, to, you can give to the rest of us.
0: Okay. Well, you've, you've already, uh, shared a bit, especially the fact that I was in the Marine Corps and I was, uh as a, as a young college student, I entered into the Marine Corps Officer Training Candidate Program and uh, was made um, a second lieutenant when, when I graduated from college and spent three and a half years in the Marine Corps where I learned leadership and also had a very, very unique job. Um, as you think about the Marine Corps, you think about the riflemen and you think about you know, going into combat and, and, and that type of thing, I was an air defense control officer, which means that I had the opportunity of talking to to um, uh, military aircraft and guiding them to their, their effective targets. And if you think about it, as a 22-year-old managing that level of, uh, of responsibility, it really has a f- profound impact on you, especially when you know that the lives of the people that you're, that you're interacting with are, in fact, uh, dependent upon the information that you give them. And another key thing that I, I took away from that, a lot because of the closing speed of the aircraft, I learned that information and having the information delivered on time was essential. And so as I was looking at my radar scope and all the information that I had available to me, and then providing that to the pilot was uh, so, so key in, in being successful, that in itself helped me when I got out of the Marine Corps to make sure that whatever information that I, that I was delivering to, to staff or to my, my, uh, my uh, leadership team or anyone
1: else, it had to be on point. Very good, I, you know, it's interesting. Uh, and now I can see the healthcare parallels uh, pretty strongly, especially where we are in healthcare with the interoperability rules and the, the really freeing of clinical data, the information blocking prohibitions that we have right now, right? Where where the theme is, you know, the right information at the right time to the right uh, physician or to the right provider, right? and. And it sounds like, just as in the air defense control, uh, in some cases, those are life-or-death situations, right?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And I was in the Marines at a time um, just when the Vietnam War was start, start, was cycling down, and I took the opportunity to um, look at what was out in private industry, and it was just one of those things that I... I went to a one of those career development seminars that the Marine Corps sponsored, ran into a couple of guys. One had been in the Marine Corps just a year prior. The other one had been in the Air Force. We talked, we hit it off, and uh, they, they uh, told me what they were doing. And one of the companies that they introduced me to was uh, uh, at Lincoln Financial Group, which is now operating in Philadelphia. At the time, it was in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and I couldn't spell insurance when I went to that interview, but I I uh, went there and um, I became a an employee benefits rep for that company, where I learned how to package employer uh, plans and working with brokers and working with customers to bring those plans together, and that was my start in this business, and I subsequently moved on to to leadership roles with that company, and then when Lincoln National got out of the employee benefits business, sold that, I then made my move to what is what was HealthNet, and um, went on uh, several years there, and then subsequently I've served in two other CEO roles where I was responsible for the health plan operations uh, for those two companies. And, 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 and as you've mentioned, uh, the last company
1: here was uh, First Care based here in, in, in Austin, Texas. So uh, you, you, you mentioned that you've been in the C-suite uh, there for quite a number of positions for, and for a, a number of years, and uh, you have this passion for mentoring. Uh, as, right. as one of the topics. So how does a, a C-suite executive first have time for mentoring, but also kind of walk us through how you came to appreciate mentoring as a as a topic at all?
0: Okay. Um, I, I've had the privilege of being mentored, including when I went in the Marine Corps and learned a lot about um, learning from the senior officers. But I had actually gotten out of the Marine Corps and was actually in my first job when um, I was pulled aside by one of the the um, execs in the company and said, "You know, Darnell, you have a lot of raw skills, a lot of things that I think can be developed. And if you don't mind, um, I wouldn't I wouldn't mind just sort of uh, coming alongside and 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 being a mentor to you in this industry." And that was the that was my introduction to it. And so I had a very successful mentoring relationship with this senior executive who went on to become uh, CEO of America. Uh, I think it was, was called American health insurance company. Forget the name now, but it was, um, uh, he was very, very instrumental in my career. And, and from there, there was another individual who came alongside and said, hey, Darnell, you know, I think you would make an excellent executive. However, I would like to be able to guide you through that process. And so I accepted that. So being a product of mentoring, I then learned those principles. And then as I had relationships with a number of different people along the way, especially high potential uh, folks, I offered myself as a mentor to them and support and a way of encouraging them to manage their own uh, careers, but giving them guidance. And over time, um, I, I say, especially in the last 15 years, I've mentored six different people uh, some have really moved on. Uh, more recently, uh, the CFO for Atna is, is, is a gentleman I had the, the privilege of mentoring. He then uh, just recently became the CFO over at Atna, and that was that was very heartwarming to see someone as a as a product of that. And I think Charles Stellar will tell you, especially in his days at Ahip. Uh, the executive leadership program that Ahip has, I was one of the one of the individuals that volunteered to produ- to participate in that, and as a result, I ran across a number of different people who were really in pursuit of developing their career in in this industry, and it's and I think I I have actually benefited from doing that,
1: not only for the individuals, but for myself as well. So tell me a little bit about that. What what benefits did you, I can see certainly, um, how a mentoree would want to come to you and say, help me, I want to get to the next level, something's holding me back. Uh, what does the mentor, him or herself, take away from the relationship?
0: There's one word that I use and I wear it out, and that is <laughs> relevant, and for me, where I am in my career now and staying in touch with the industry and really seeing what's on the forefront to remain relevant, I gain that by my mentoring relationships because I get to see through their eyes the things that they're tackling. And I get a chance to experience that by having my conversations with them as I give them guidance. I had a, I had a a mentoring um, appointment this morning with a gentleman who is a CEO of a small company that he started here in Austin. And someone gave him my name and and we, we, we talked. And this guy is 25 years old, running his own business. He has 25 employees, he's trying to scale it. But he said, you know, I am not equipped to be a CEO and people are looking to me to give them guidance. And so I would really like to hear how I go about doing that. And, and so we talked about what, what it would really take in terms of um, skills, but more importantly, to keep his eye on the, the, the reason for the existence of his business and then to drive it by adding people to the company that can help him do that. And I I told him this morning, I said, you know, I can actually serve as a guide for you. You have the head knowledge. You have to bring the motivation. I can provide you with emotional support for it. I can even provide you with some of the role modeling. But ultimately, it's you taking those things and translating that to how you can become a better leader uh, in the company that that you're leading. So for me, it's actually fun. It keeps me in touch. It keeps me relevant to the things that are happening in management. And I hear about new challenges, some of that I've experienced personally, others I haven't. And it gives me a chance to
1: wrap my head around those those things. So uh, a couple of things that I'm hearing. The first is um, when I think of a mentor or uh, program, I think. Oh, uh, you know, I'm I'm established in my company, and now I'm going to wait for mentees to come to me and ask me for help. But you've actually um, either experienced mentors coming to you <coughs> proactively and saying, "Hey, uh, Darnell, I think you know, I think you're, you, we think we can boost you up to uh, uh, up in, in your career a bit, and we think uh, we're the mentor that can help you do it." So it sounds like m- as a mentor, you've experienced that and and proactively. Uh, sought mentorees and, and or or seen a mentore and approached them and said hey uh, I think I can help you get to the next step is that is that uh, common
0: it's pretty pretty common more than more more likely is the fact that people uh, once they discover that I have been in the c-suite and people who who are either aspiring to, to get into the c-suite or the fact that they're there and they just really having a hard time figuring out where to take things uh they they look they ask around and people say hey I know a guy and that guy happens to be (laughs) me and and sometimes I'll get a call and say here's what this guy's dilemma dilemma is can you have a conversation just preliminarily to see if there's something you can do to help and then um, a lot of times I can and sometimes I can't and if I can't I say, you know, I'm really not the right person for you, but I may also have someone else that I know that I can, you know, pass along to help that individual. But the thing that I'll I'll leave with the audience is the fact that mentoring is uh, is is a process by which you really appreciate one the career that you've had or having. And then secondly, the fact that you come to a realization that you have something that you can share. And I have been so fortunate in my career having those opportunities where someone is just, they've seen something in me before I could to say, you know what? I can help you get to where you're going or I can help you be better at what you're doing. And I, I, I'm paying that back now by just being available to, to individuals, especially if that's something that I think that I can help them with.
1: Right. Uh, great, uh, great way to close out the discussion on mentoring. Certainly, um, I wouldn't be here either if it weren't for people who, uh, Who uh, saw something in me that I didn't see in myself and helped me get to the next level? So, uh, thank you, Darnell. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Darnell Dent, uh, talk a little bit about the healthcare disruptions uh, coming on the digital front. Uh, For now, let's take a quick break and hear from our producer, Michael McNutt. Weedy 2021, our annual
0: spring conference showcasing health IT best practices and emerging trends is coming soon and it's all virtual. May 14th and 17th is our pre-conference with sessions on prior authorization, a special showcase on HL7's DaVinci project, and our vendor demo day. May 18th, 19th, and 20th, join us as we discuss burden reduction, health equity, digital ID, and much more. Register online at weedy.org and enter the code PODCAST to receive 20% off our registration rates. Weedy 2021, pre-conference May 14th and 17th, main conference May 18th
1: through the 20th. We're back and we're talking with Darnell Dent, former CEO of First Care Health Plans out of Texas, and now strategic advisor to Softion on another episode of the Collective Voice of Health IT. A weedy podcast, uh, and when we left, uh, Darnell, we were talking about mentoring. Before we leave that topic, I did want to follow up and and maybe uh, for viewers and certainly for me um, to get a better idea of uh, what it means to. Mentor. I mean, clearly, you're not reading, you know, their emails and telling them how to approach their emails, right? But uh, is it is it just soft skills that you're teaching? Um, you know, how to how to talk with people. Is it organizational skills? Um, what what what's the what, what would be your definition of mentoring? mentoring is um,
0: is supporting, is encouraging people to manage their own learning in order that they may maximize their potential, develop their skills, improve their performance and become the person they want to be. Most people have a vision for what they want to where they want to go and what they want to be, but oftentimes don't know how to do it and sometimes it can it can seem like a huge huge undertaking and so to have someone Walk alongside and 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 not only provide the support, but encourage people to take take risk. That's really what mentoring really
1: is. So it sounds like at least part of it is building up someone's confidence
0: too, right? It's building their confidence. It's sharing information. It's it's about providing guidance because often people will come with a problem, and so. But, being outside, you can look at that problem and give your viewpoint because you're not so invested in it. And then you can guide the person potentially through that. Then you can provide them with additional motivation to continue or stop. Mm. In fact, I've told a number of people, just quit or quit that <laughs> right. or stop that because it's not productive especially if you're moaning and groaning and or you're trying to do end-arounds or anything, things along that nature, you just say stop. But a lot of it is emotional support because people have the right answers often, but they just need someone to confirm where they are. And then the other thing is, uh, especially uh, people who are moving into the C-suite like this young man this morning, I'm serving more as a role model for him in terms of where I started, the mistakes that I made. And then uh, he, he asked a question and that was, if he had to do it all over again, what would you do? And you sort of go through that that whole scenario. But that's generally the case. And then um, there's some exploring careers, especially if people look looking to, explore, uh, to change careers Goal setting setting is involved developing contacts because people may not have good contacts in a certain space or identifying resources and and it's about sharing life experiences. I t- I do try to stay out of their marital issues though. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that that's a danger. Can't give thing. guidance on that. Can't no, I, 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 on I that. stay clear of that one. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, everything else generally is pretty, pretty well open.
1: Well, that is interesting, actually. I mean, I can understand staying away from the marital, but it is interesting that sometimes uh, certainly our professional and our personal lives over intersect. And sometimes, you know, is the, the issues or the problems or the roadblocks that you're finding in professional life, maybe also uh, the roadblocks that you're finding in your personal relationships and certainly not just the romantic relationships, personal relationships. So I can see how, uh, it's a kind of uh, maybe it's not coaching, but it does kind of spill over beyond the professional, right?
0: Uh, and occasionally it does, especially especially uh, having said that, especially when when you're dealing with someone who's a workaholic and mm. they're neglecting their family life, neglecting their spouse or their kids, and they and just aren't being available. And often people dig a hole for themselves because. They think that the more effort, the more work they put in, they they will get recognized, and 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 that is not always the case. It's more about having balance, and that work life balance is so so important, and then delivering on the things that they have, as opposed to just being the hardest guy, uh, or 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 lady doing you know uh, showing uh, uh, doing more work than than previously before, but it's a, it's it's a delicate balance. But if, if a person's having marital problems, I said, you know, you need to get, you need to get counseling and, and then gingerly move out of that topic as much as I can, unless it's some area like where someone is just working and neglecting, you know, family life. And sometimes I'll, I'll drift into
1: that. So, uh you know what's interesting about what you're you're saying and and what keeps coming to my mind is the the work patterns that I think some of us or some people have gotten into with the pandemic. So mm-hmm. uh, many people have gone uh, remote. If there was a if there was a problem, uh, maybe if it was a problem, but if there was an issue of that balance between life work uh, when you disappeared to the office for 8, 9, 10 hours a day, right. I think that that problem may have been compounded. Uh, Absolutely. The remote work. So, so tell me a little bit about that from your uh, uh, experience of what you've seen over the last year. Have you seen more of that uh, kind of difficulty in in making that life uh, work life balance? I think yes, and especially
0: the first few months when uh, the reality that this thing is just not going to go away, people had to make adjustments. In fact, uh, I I have friends and other other colleagues who say. Now I have the, have the, the, the choice of, not the, the dilemma really, I'm at home, I'm getting tugged by my kids or my, 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 my wife or family to go do this, run to the store, run an errand or do something. And so people are moving, uh, going outside, going for walks or going for a drive, or uh, now that the weather is getting better, um, just going out in a park just to get some work done, just mm-hmm. sort of keep, keep that balance. But I think now, uh, I think we've hit stride and people have found a, a way to, to make it work. And, and I know that there have been some challenges in that area for a lot of people. And it's, a, it's one where the office is the office. Uh, I know for, for me, I, for, for several weeks, I had a, a paper sign that I put on outside of my, my door, just say, I am working. And even when my grandkids have, have come over or they they want to ask me a question, I'm just pointing at the sign. <laughs> and read the sign. And then they go away and then I take a break and then, then I attend to whatever the question is that they're asking. And then I go back in and I always say, hey, look, I'm working. And so let it wait. I will take a break and we'll talk about it at at the end of of the break time.
1: Right. Terrific. And And it worked. And it works. Very good. Well, uh, full disclosure I spent the morning uh, dealing with an overflowing toilet in my house. So (laughs) (laughs) I. I couldn't really put up the sign, <laughs> uh, but I, I understand completely. Uh, yeah. you know, on the other hand, it does allow to deal with overflowing toilets, which would have flooded my entire house if I was at the office, right? So that's right. Right. There are some uh, benefits both ways. So uh, we're talking a little bit about disruption in the workplace, uh, but yeah. um, also let's think about uh, disruptions in healthcare uh, mm-hmm. and particularly on the digital front. Um, so where do you think, uh, or where do you hope maybe? The healthcare industry will be in five or ten years.
0: I think, first of all, it will be. It's it's not going to be an an easy um, move for this industry because health, um, health insurance, and insurance in general happens to be one of the the older industries, and we have uh, so much stuff baked in. So it's hard. Change is hard. And one of our dilemmas is the fact that the business is also very complex. I mean, there are a lot of moving parts in healthcare, And just having lived through, worked through the transition from fee for, fee for service to managed care was painful enough. Now what we're facing is the fact that consumerism has, is, is, is upon us. And the pandemic didn't help, mainly because where uh, people uh, got their information at, at, through their HR departments or whatever else, they've been forced to go online to to get information about their healthcare. And so, consumerism, I think, is one of the biggest disruptions that we're that we're seeing. And. Um, the, the industry, especially the health insurance business, was really not built on a consumer model. It was built more on a B2B. You know, employers bought the program or bought a, a hired a consultant to build the program. And then that program was then uh, given to the consumer, the employee. But now we see this shift of B2C where uh, the Affordable Care Act came along, we have individual products, and that is a personal decision of the consumer, the individual now buying that coverage. And with the number of uninsured, uninsured that we have in this country, and now that that need is being met to some degree by, um, the, by marketplace, we're learning new habits, and those new habits are one, I have to be very, very clear about what benefits that I need, at what price point, and do I need dental, do I need vision, or do I need do I need a, a, a smaller deductible? Or can I afford to have to pay more in a co-payment? rather than some program that's been designed by the, the human resources department or, for that matter, the leadership of the company. So consumerism is upon us. And, and then in that shift, we've seen new players. And I'll, I'll call one of them out, and that is Oscar, because Oscar, I think, was one of the first big ripples that hit, hit the industry, built on an electronic platform, built on B two C where we're and it's focused more on the consumer of healthcare, as opposed to the employer, they've provided um, online apps. They have something called doctor on call services. They've just put it on a tray and handed it right to the consumer. And I think that's challenged a number of, of health plans. And there have been other, since that time, other Oscar like, plans that, that have come come out as a result of that so we got consumerism on one hand and then the thing that I'm that I'm just sort of bridging on now is the digital age is upon insurance companies If you think about it, um, accessing health information via the internet, in fact, my doc hates it every time I walk in his, his office or I'm on a call with him. And I have, I have researched and gotten thoughts about some of the things that I see that's happening in my body. And he'll say, Darnell, you can't believe everything you read, but in this case, you're absolutely right. <laughs> and so we go on and talk about it. Or for that matter, what he's learned to do, he'll say, hey, here is here is a website that you ought to check out or here's, a, here's some references that you ought to be taking a closer look at and reading because there are some things that you ought to be doing in, in that. So I think the providers are also learning on the other hand. But if you think about it from an overall access standpoint, going back to 2004, only 30 percent of people access their health information online. Fast forward to 2015, that percentage jumped up to 72 percent. And so even so, if you jump to 2021, I'm sure that number is creeping up in the high 80s, 90s, 90s range. And then you sort of look at the fact that, so then you ask the question, does that mean that the consumers are becoming are they more dependent on information they're getting off the web versus their doctor? And the answer is no. In that same period from 2004 to 2015 and 2004, 67% relied on their doctor's information. 2015, 72% of the people have sort of gotten their information on the web. So the, the gap is a lot closer in terms of people augmenting the information that they traditionally got from their doctor with the information they're gonna, getting on the web. So, that, so you got consumerism, you got the digitization because people are now more willing to, to do telehealth visits. People have gotten accustomed to using provider portals to get information. And the, the 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 portals that are really stepping up today, making it easy to navigate, are the winners, and that's where people are, are gravitating to. But there's one other factor in addition to the the two that I just mentioned, and I think one of the biggest helps started with President Trump's executive order on price and quality trans uh, tr- uh, um, transparency. I you know for the for years and years, i had had said to my hospital uh, friends, Hey, if you publish your prices and people actually know that not only are you going to provide good quality health care, but here's the price point, because as you shop around, and we all know this, we shop around uh, for getting a procedure done there's such a big variance. And a lot of it is based off of named um, provider groups or named hospital systems. But the reality is it really comes down to the person who's actually performing the service. And so I think uh, uh, price transparency, not only in the hospital side, but also on the health plan side will drive new innovation, it will drive uh, a, a wiser consumer, but it's a disruptor, it is clearly a disruptor. And so we're just starting to see what that impact is having um, because that, that was just passed in 2020. And so as that unfolds and um, it is no longer legal
1: to, to hide your, your, your true prices, that's a game changer. So, so let me ask you, uh, what do you think that impact will be? So, I, I think you're you're absolutely right. You, you know, s- assuming these transparency rules, which I think they will, they'll get implemented and uh, fairly soon at their at their literally at their fingertips and their phones. Right, consumers will have. Not only all the clinical information put through third-party apps, so they can uh, find out more about their own health status, uh, but also uh, price comparison tools where they can decide which providers to go or where to get an MRI or where to go to colonoscopy. Right? Um, Does that mean that in the future? um, And I think this was a a political viewpoint, uh, at least with some that were pushing for a more consumer-oriented policy. If if it's if. If the if both health plans and hospitals or providers have to um, have to market or have to compete uh, in perhaps a, a fairer playing field by uh, uh, with the consumers, does that mean do we think healthcare prices are going to go down? Do we think quality may go up? What what do you think the outcome will be? Or or is it too early to tell? <laughs> it's just we're in the disruption phase, and and we'll see where we come out on the other side. I think one is
0: too, is too early to tell, but where there is disruption, usually the markets figure figures it out and prices fall. I mean that's just one of the, one of the one of the realities. I mean we've seen that when you have a a new product that comes out and then there's a that's the only game in town, the prices are high, and then the more players that come in, that changes. But in this case, I think when price is king and people know that and, they, and people have a choice, that then force internal uh, evaluation of capabilities and also resources that are deployed and so all these hospitals that have been building and building and building wings and everything else, that will be, that will be, will, will, will slow that process down. Also, um, better ways of delivering care. And we're seeing that with ambulatory, amb- I can't even say it right now, ambulatory care, where uh, you don't have to spend the night in the hospital. You go in very short stay to get it done. I had my knee done a few years back, uh, ACL repair. It was just an overnight and, and it was considered outpatient. We'll see more of that. Uh, we'll see more uh, care that will be delivered um, based off of the choice of the individual than traditionally before because people have more information. So, I, I do think that it, it could be a very positive thing, but there will be upheaval. Mm. There will be There will be competitors who will fall out because they won't be able to play in the new marketplace. But ultimately, I think we'll at the, at the end of the day, we'll have a better product. If you look If you look at healthcare care uh, in foreign countries, um, sure, it's socialized medicine in a lot of places but it's a capitalistic form of, of health care uh, that's being provided because alongside of the uh, the, the, the general health care, they have private industry health care mm-hmm. giving people a choice to, to then go private as opposed to uh, the one that they're paying their taxes on. And... If you talk to those private companies, they've become better because they are competing against the, the, the standard. Mm-hmm. The standard is forced to do a better job. So it's where you may have to spend a um, couple of years, three years for hit replacement and someone can go private and get it done better. The better docs go to the better system. Mm. They see this competition inward comp competition, and as a result, healthcare in those countries often uh, get better. So, it's 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 one of those strange dynamics that that we see. But I do think that we are we're going to be in for some shakeout in the in the coming months and years. Mm. Good, interesting.
1: Well, then uh, I hope Darnell will uh, we'll get you back in a few years and we'll see. Uh where everything is shaken out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. So, thank you. This has been a great discussion with Darnell Dent, former CEO of First Care Health Plans, and now strategic advisor to Softion. Uh, Darnell, always glad to have you on our show. And and let's get you back. All right, appreciate it, Matthew. Thank you. Okay. This has been the collective voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast, where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system find this episode and many more on our website, weedy.org. Thank you all for joining us and be safe.